Episode 62 of the Epic Drop Podcast, which you can find once or twice a week at all good podcast services and some terrible ones as well. You're joined as always by myself, the host, the man with no moniker, Dave Ward, and alongside me, the man from the Emerald Isle, Mr. Ken Fox. How are you doing, Ken? How's things? Yeah, not bad. Good, good, good. <laughs> yeah, no, all right, my end. Can't, can't complain. Can't complain. Cool. Uh, I have some wild... Exciting enough news. Uh, basically, um, what the, I can't remember what day it was, but I, see, I applied for this thing not long ago, and uh, uh, basically, I have an interview fired on Tuesday, so it's up in Belfast. It's for this uh, new position. Oh, nice! So Same it's company. it's kind of hard. To, oh. No, 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 no. It's completely different. Uh, it's hard to kind of describe what it is. Basically, like it's a very niche kind of thing, but um, they kind of like say source music for you know different companies like bbc uh whatever happens to be some american companies you know if they're using it for tv and that kind of stuff oh nice and uh so yeah it's, it's as i said it's very specialized thing but they do if you on their website they have different uh stuff different types of stuff that they do you know uh so uh yeah it's it kind of it's a lot of different things that they do but uh yeah so they got the call said they like they saw so i'm going up to belfast then on tuesday for the interview so would you have to move to Belfast? Yeah, I would, yeah. yeah. I would, oh, would so have you to, just yeah. want to be British then? That's what it is. <laughs> no, it's just, it was weird. It's funny because I kind of applied for it and I didn't, I more looked at the company where I didn't really look at the location, but the place was called, which is funny, Dublin Road is the place that it is. And I just saw Dublin and I just I just assumed, I was like, oh yeah, I'm sure it is. But then after I sent my CV and stuff, they're like, you are aware this is in Belfast. And at the time, I was like, yeah, yeah, I do. So, But I was just put it in, so they rang me there. So I was like, okay, well, sure. <laughs> it's not far, is it? Same accent, you know? I oh, know, it's that. it's like an hour and a bit. Yeah. It's not. But um, yeah, so anyway, that's... Good luck, mate. be interesting to see. So yeah, as I said, it's very different to, you know, Anton and I have kind of done before and... I never even realized that stuff like that, companies like that even existed. So there you go. You know, I thought it'd be more like a record label that would do that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. no, no. obviously not. That's good stuff. So yeah, that's some good news anyway. Nice. <clears throat> well, as always, kick off with the news. So uh, what you got for us again? Yeah. Yeah, so it's actually been pretty decent uh, week. In the way we always used to say on this that oh, it's been a slow week. There hasn't been much. I think there's actually been... But yeah, a lot of stuff we can kind of, you know, dig into and a uh, good bit of meat in the bone, as, as you'd say, in terms of the news we have this week. So I think that's good for a change. So starting with games, as we always do. Uh, obviously, we're going to get into it a bit later, but I'll just kind of talk about it here. The Game Awards, uh, the nominees has been, have been revealed for 2017. So, uh, nominees for the fourth annual Game Awards have been revealed, with the big hitters like Super Mario Odyssey, Destiny 2, Wolfenstein 2, uh, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, and Horizon Zero Dawn all up for multiple awards. Uh, there's also plenty of choice outside of the AAA bubble, with indie offerings like What Remains of Edith Finch, Hellblade, Send of Sacrifice, Cuphead, Night in the Woods, and Bury Me, all in contention. Uh, also notable this year is that there's includes two new awards, one for live games and one for mobile titles, with the former being added to added uh, so the show is more reflective of games being ongoing services instead of one time releases. Uh, 
So, oh, here, just kind of interesting fact. I suppose a complete list of nominees features 102 games and individuals, with the winners due to be revealed live on Thursday, December 7th. So it's usually uh, at the end of the year. And it's streamed and that kind of stuff. And obviously it's on, I'm assuming it's on TV in America or whatever. But uh, anyway, that's kind of, you know, big enough news in the game industry this week. Uh, as I said, the fourth annual Game Awards. And we, we saw even last year that it's, you know, it's starting to gain a bit more of a reputation, you know, and it's, it does have more of kind of a, a standing in the gaming industry. It's not just, you know, hey, look at these awards for these games and, you know, fair enough about your opinion on the winners and that kind of stuff. That's one thing. But uh, I think it's good to see that they're, it's making some kind of impact. And I suppose for developers and that kind of stuff, it's good to see them get some uh, reward, you know, for the game. So anyway, as I said, we're going to get deeper into it in our topic in the next episode. But for now, I'm just going to, you know, Leave it at that in terms of that's just the news. So, what do, you, do you have any just thoughts on the awards themselves? Yeah, I mean, it's it definitely seems like they do get like quite a lot of press these days. I guess this seems to be the one that I guess is the equivalent of like the Oscars, right? There's not really yeah, anything else games. kind of in gaming that <clears throat> gets this spotlight. So, just like BAFTA, they're kind of they're also doing quite well in terms of yeah. their standing in the gaming industry. Obviously, the, they're the not other one as well. Um, it used to be quite big, but it doesn't seem to be anymore. Uh, Golden Joystick. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, awards. yeah. But that's that's. Yeah, there's a few online stuff as well, and yeah, you know, smaller stuff. But yeah, this seems to be the biggest one in the gaming industry. So uh, yeah, should be interesting anyway. So as I said, in terms of there was a lot to kind of unpack in the news this week. I don't know if you heard, but there's a kind of a growing controversy over Battlefront 2 and as well as the EA, EA's, their business practices and that kind of stuff. Yeah, surprise, surprise. And Yeah, I know. Uh, so apparently, this is just kind of the headline, one of the headlines from what you could say. Uh, EA has told the European Gaming Commission that loot boxes are not gambling in Battlefront 2. So now I'll get into the, the full thing. So uh, many players weren't happy about the credits that unlock key Star Wars characters. The number required has now been reduced, but so has the number that can be earned through gameplay, and the alternative is to purchase them. Others have also complained about the use of loot crates, which uh, some say are essentially a gambling tool. The crates are virtual boxes that are uh, purchased within the game and contain mystery bonuses. Critics say they promote gambling as the contents of the boxes are revealed only after the payment is received, and some are more useful than others. And then in a statement, kind of to, I suppose, quell uh, some of the criticisms that have uh, come at EA and also DICE as well. Uh, DICE said it wanted players to have fun earning the achievement of unlocking the franchise's heroes. That's convenient for them. Uh, so then, <laughs> um, so, and as I said, the alternative is to buy these characters, but many players believe that there should be an in-game, uh, should be in-game micropayments in the f- in the full, there uh, should not be in-game micropayments in the full price title. Uh, and then just kind of interesting, uh, I think this is one of like the review, uh, what kind of earlier reviews. This were someone, uh, Game Informer. This is kind of what Andrew Reiner, the person who said this. So he said the most damning show uh, of the game. Basically, uh, we want you to, saying they want we want you to pay uh, to win is a limit being put on the number of credits a player can earn arcade mode. And and he said after finishing five arcade challenges, the player is told to come back in fourteen hours to earn more. So he described the game as big, bombastic, and fun, but added that it was diseased by an insidious microtransaction model that creates an uneven battlefield, favoring those who are willing to spend real money to gain an edge over players who are just here to enjoy the Star Wars experience. 
So yeah, um, quite interesting, I think. And that's a lot like gamers who I think there's like kind of an early access thing you can get. A lot that's been a lot of the, their criticism of the game is just the model in it, and then obviously earlier reviews as well. And it was also just a small little thing that I thought was quite funny. Um, I just randomly saw it when I was kind of looking for the actual news about it. Uh, someone did like uh, psychology, I think it's called like inverse lifestyle. So it's basically like, you know, opposite day type of thing. So everything they say is like um, the opposite of what they really mean. So like the t- the headline for this art- article was uh, EA conti- continue to make great decisions for Battlefront 2. And then it kind of went into the article, you know. So like that was the whole article saying... Uh, they a master stroke here, uh, making Battlefront basically a free uh, or a pay to win game. What a brilliant decision! You know, really just uh, <laughs> laying on EA. So it's pretty funny. I was like, that's a good way to kind of look at it, I suppose. So uh, yeah. So what you kind of think about this? As you said, you, you're not surprised at all. Neither am I. It's EA. But uh, what do you kind of think about this? Yeah, it's really interesting. I, I um I was trying to dig it out just then, but I can't find it. But I was reading a thread um earlier um from a guy that makes um like free-to-play games and he was yeah. like kind of commenting on the whole like microtransaction thing and just saying like even from a free-to-play like standpoint so back in the day when it was all like the zynga games and stuff on facebook their whole business model was based on you would only get two percent of people spending money so he was like 98 percent of your consumer base are just playing the game for free yeah so he was kind of like commenting on what the these people need to realize people like EA need to realize is like now the figure's like five percent so there's still 95 percent of people that are just playing your game to play the game and they're not going to spend any more money so you can't kind of treat them in the way that a free kind of play are. would be yeah yeah and they've already spent 60 dollars 60 euro and that, on and that, the title and as that well. was his point because he was like even when he makes yeah. free to play games there's still that expectation that five percent of people will pay money um so he was like when someone's paying 60 dollars for a game you're still like expecting a massive part of your base to pay more money which isn't going to happen anyway yeah, yeah um, exactly so he, he i think that's an interesting way to just look at it in terms of the straight numbers and how like say first because you can assume most publishers are now pushing this whole mic transaction in the game but we talked about it before obviously but um i think it's interesting looking at that where it's still such a small percentage of gamers even if it's like a game like this where it's you know it's a full price title they're still not actually um like only small percent are actually paying for these microtransactions or paying to buy these characters let's say so I think it's interesting that still, even though like the raw data doesn't actually back up their reasoning to kind of push this business model. I think the problem is is that of the kind of like, just let's go on that basis of the 5% of people that do spend money, they yeah. spend a shitload of money. Mm. And that's kind of what, I mean, it doesn't surprise me that they keep doing it because they're clearly making loads of money from it. If they weren't making money from it, they wouldn't do it. Yeah. So oh, yeah. <coughs> it's kind of a Yeah, no, a I'm not saying that... Yeah, I'm not saying it's not profitable. I'm just saying, like, it's not like they're, they're like a lot of the, these, as you said, they're paying a lot of money for this and different small little things, loot boxes, that kind of stuff. Sure, they're making a meal of it, but like, it's not like 
less than or just under half are, are actually paying for micro you know it's not a huge thing where like almost half of it are actually partaking in this it's only still a small percentage obviously that's still a good turnover for them but it's yeah, I don't know, you're, it's you're still penalizing just not, like ninety five percent of your base that yeah. made sixty dollars for your game. Already, yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. So that's yeah. We we obviously we we've kind of discussed it in Lent before and our views on microtransactions. But yeah, as we said, as I said, I'm not surprised um, that he he did this and like you can just imagine how dice were feeling and like did did they want to put them in there and. You know, it's. I think it's kind of an interesting thing about the differences differences between the publisher and the developer, and how, you know, are developers being pushed to add this stuff into the game? Like maybe they got to a certain point in the game, and then EA were like, okay, we want to add them in, in microtransactions, so you have to change parts of your game, you know, and kind of change yeah. how things work. I would, be, I, think, I would be very surprised if any of this kind of stuff came from a developer. Oh yeah, yeah. That's, uh, no, I doubt it would. No, doubt that's, it does either, uh, to be I completely agree with you because I'm just kind of yeah. like, you know, <clears throat> maybe if let's say that you self-publish, for example, then you might think about yeah. doing it. Maybe if you're thinking yeah. about kind of profitability, but I think most of this, and I guess the problem these days is, is if EA kind of say to like Dice, we want you to put microtransactions in the game, and they're kind of a bit like, well you know you guys don't really feel kind of too comfortable doing that yeah they're not going to do that because they kind of mm -hmm. look and see what happened like with visceral and it's not hard for them just to go see you later guys cheers <laughs> yeah i know yeah yeah it's yeah i don't know it just seems that there's you know a disconnect there and i i can imagine that that's happened a good few times where developers are halfway through a game you know they kind of have an idea of how the system's going to go if there's leveling up, leveling up kind of system and then they get this kind of bombshell that oh we're just going to be microtransactions so they got, they have to completely change how you upgrade and basically make it harder for you to upgrade so that you're more willing to pay for that kind of stuff Yeah. so again I just think it's toxic for game I think it's a really terrible path that we're going down yeah agreed and this stuff it's just it's I think it's a terrible idea and obviously not, not for uh, publishers in terms of profit that they're getting but i think just for how it's kind of um you know not cutting out the gamer but just kind of just seeing them as customers and hoping that they'll you know fork up more money than they've already paid i just think it's, it's really bad for the game industry so anyway that's that i suppose there'll probably be more about that in the future um and then i suppose we have some kind of tv gaming news if you want to call it uh so supposedly hulu are working on a live action hitman series yeah. So IO Interactive's Hitman's is, is getting another live action adaptation, this time in the form of a television series for Hulu. Deadline reports that Fox 21 Television Studios and Hulu are developing a new series based on The Assassin, with John, John Wick creator uh, Derek Kolstad enlisted to write. Uh, he, uh, he wrote the original um, John Wick and this year's sequel, and he also wrote the script for John Wick, or he, he's also writing the script for John Wick Chapter 3, which is scheduled to hit theatres in 2019. According to Deadline, Kalstad's uh, on board to write the pilot and uh, executive produced the series. So far, there aren't many details on the planned series, though Deadline reports that Hitman will, uh, in quotes, um, hew closely to the mythology of the perennially popular video game 
Uh, the franchi- franchise has been adapted into two feature films already, 2007's Hitman, which starred Tim D. Oliphant as Agent 47, and 2015 Hitman's Agent 47, um, which, in which the assassin was played by Rupert Friend. And both of which were pretty poorly received and didn't do particularly well. So, um, and then finally, incidentally, Deadline also reports that there are currently two Hitman games in development. IO Interactive have already confirmed it's working on a new Hitman game, but originally said it does not plan to start talking about the project until sometime next year. So, yeah, interesting enough, um, as I said before, those two movies were quite disappointing, and... Uh, yeah, I've not seen the second one. I, 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 quite, I quite enjoyed the Timothy Oliphant one. I mean, it wasn't, like, yeah. great by any stretch of the imagination, but... It was an easy kind of ninety-minute film just to sit down yeah. and watch. And if you know a bit about Hitman character, you know. Yeah, I mean, I've never really been like a big fan. I mean, it's it's not my again because it's mostly first person, right? But it's not really my. No, my, it's a third person. Oh, it's third person, is it? Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, he. Uh, I've not played the game, so I can't comment. But he never really strikes yeah. me as like an interesting character. It just seems it's, very. Kind it's of it's, like, it's just like an assassin. You know it's mean, just like you know a cold. It's just a cold-hearted killer. Yeah, that's basically what it is. But um, yeah, I think I think it could definitely work as a series. Yeah. Because as like good talent problem on board. With, I mean, I, yeah. I love the well, I love the first John Wick. I've not seen the second yet, but yeah. I mean, if he goes down kind of that route, which <laughs> yeah, let's face it, probably will. Um, yeah. It, yeah, could be interesting. Yeah, no, I think it, it work will probably work better than. Uh, TV series in a movie because in a movie like which we've seen a lot with gaming movies is that there just isn't enough time to kind of develop the story and kind of develop the world and it's it's more it's more about getting the action shots in there and then the story is kind of isn't as important so I think that's why a TV series might be good for this and it'd be interesting if they do with it but um yeah I think it could possibly work yeah. and again casting will definitely be a big thing who's going to play Hitman in 47 so yeah, yeah it'll be interesting to see yeah, agreed. I think. So that's for gaming news. Uh, then, I suppose, follow on to movie news. And uh, again, as I said, some pretty interesting stories in here. Some interesting uh, stuff. So, first bit of news is uh, apparently Mad Max sequels are being held up as George Miller is suing Warner Brothers for unpaid earnings. Uh, so, according to a report by Sydney Morning Herald, uh, the vaunted Australian director has been begun a legal battle with Warner Brothers to recover unpaid earnings on the film, the first one. Uh, the first word on the case was made last week when the Supreme Court of New South Wales found that the case should be arbitrated uh, there rather than in California. So here we go, this is the reason. Uh, the case boils down to a seven billion bonus that was paid. Wait. Seven million. I seven million, sorry, yeah. Seven million bonus that was paid uh, out to, which is still a lot, uh, Ken- Kennedy Miller Mitchell, uh, the production company founded by Miller. The final net cost of the film came in under 157 million. Miller's legal team argues that Warner Brothers essentially caused uh, budget overruns by making decisions that led to delays which affected the overall cost of the film. In the statement, Miller and Mitchell said they are owed substantial earnings for diligent and painstaking work which spanned over 10 years in development of the script and for preparation for three years in production of the movie. And they followed saying, uh, we would much prefer to be making movies with Warner Brothers than uh, litigating with them, but but after trying for over a year, we were unable to reach a satisfactory resolution and have now had to resort to a lawsuit to sort things out. While it wasn't expressly mentioned in the statement, the lawsuit between Kennedy Miller Mitchell and Warner Brothers is likely why the two planned sequels for Mad Max Fury Road haven't started yet. Uh, just to make it even more exciting, uh, 
upsetting. One of the sequels to focus is to focus sorely on um Imperture de Ferosa played by Shalise Tron. And it's not clear yet uh, where the out uh, whether the outcome of the lawsuit will directly impact on the status of these films, but considering that they're now in a lawsuit against one another, it doesn't look all that hopeful. So yeah, uh I suppose a lot of money at stake. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean Yeah. Uh, obviously, if he feels that he's owed it, then it's fine. But then I kind of think that by kind of doing this, then it means that he can't make the other one, which means that he's not earning the money that he would be earning for making that one. Yeah. So it kind of like balances itself out. But... Like, it's hard to know, like, when you think of it, how I don't, I don't know the law on this kind of stuff, but where, where does it become a thing, as they said, like, the budget overruns and like. Where does it come into that you should be paid for this? Like, because if a movie goes over budget and you know it takes longer than expected, like how much are you gonna kind of litigate for that to for actually to be kind of um, a loss for the people and that they should be paid for it, or is it just oh the movie went over budget and you know that we had to you know we had, this was ex- extra expenses for the studio, but it didn't actually Im- impact on say the writer and that kind of stuff. Yeah. I don't know where 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 is that line where I don't know they definitely should they definitely should be entitled to something here or it's just that the movie went over budget and you know it doesn't affect the actual people working on it so interesting one yeah. and in Australia as well it's not in California that's where it's been taken to court so yeah yeah just was interesting news uh so another kind of big deal here uh so apparently Lord of the Rings TV series is planned uh with Amazon. So, in its quest to launch a hit fantasy series of the Game of Thrones caliber, Amazon has closed a massive deal said to be close to $250 million to acquire global TV rights to The Lord of the Rings, based on the fantasy novels by J.R.R. Talking. The streaming service has given a multi-season commitment to a Lord of the Rings series in the, in, in the pact, which also includes a potential spin-off series. So, the Lord of the Rings original series, a prequel to Talking's The Fellowship of the Ring, will be produced by Amazon Studios in cooperation with the Talking Estate and Trust, HarperCollins, and New Line Cinema, a division of Warner Brothers Entertainment, which produced a hugely successful Lord of the Rings movie franchise. Uh, no, de- no details about the deal were disclosed, but it's believed to be dwarfing any TV series pack to date with a whopping uh, price tag attached. So, apparently, then I have a bit of uh, extra information here. Amazon, Netflix, and HBO had been approached by the Talking Estate, who had been chopping the project. It came with an upfront rights payment said to be in the um, $250 dollars dollars range, and uh, heard that Amazon landed the rights by paying close to $250. That is just for the rights, before any cost for development, talent, and production uh, come into it. <laughs> yeah, I know it's a lot. Yeah. Um, I know. And then, top of that, the budget for a fantasy series of that magnitude is likely to be $100 million to $150 million a season. So, yeah, it's interesting enough. And then here's just a bit about kind of uh, what Amazon Studios said about the deal. Lord of the Rings is a cultural phenomenon that has captured the imagination of generations of fans through literature and on the big screen, said Sharon Talgiato, head of scripted series at Amazon Studios. We are honored to be working with the Talking Estate and Trust, HarperCollins and New Line on this exciting collaboration for television and are thrilled to be taking the Lord of the Rings fans on a new epic journey in Middle-earth. And as it's set in Middle Earth, um, the te- television adaptation will explore new storylines preceding Tolkien's Fellowship of the Ring. And, uh, and then finally, they said Matt uh, Galser, a representative of Tolkien Estate, said, We're delighted that Amazon, with its long standing commitment to literature, is the home of the first ever multi season television series for Lord of the Rings. 
And he says, Sharon and the team at Amazon, Amazon Studios have exceptional ideas to bring to the project. So, yeah, I think it could be a big cube for Amazon Studios. Yeah, interesting. So, I mean, obviously, they've made quite a few um, of their own series already, but nothing's kind of... Mm-hmm. They've all been good by the sounds of things, but nothing's really kind of... Yeah, this kind of magnitude or this... Yeah, they've not this had like a, a Netflix kind of standard. Yeah, they've exactly. Had, and obviously don't really want to talk about this but like house of cards for example was obviously a big success for yeah for netflix, for netflix. So, yeah yeah um obviously like the marvel series and stuff as well so um yeah i mean it's a, it's an obscene amount of money but if, any, if anyone's <laughs> i know it, yeah and uh, like Amazon, so. i i think it's definitely worth it uh because as you said kind of game of thrones like series um obviously it's ordering's different to that but still uh, if they can you know get the right cast get good writers on board and director and that kind of stuff are different directors for it but um then yeah they, like definitely would attract a lot more people to amazon amazon studios that kind of stuff because you know that's kind of their big thing they're obviously competing with netflix so if they have that big marquee uh, franchise whatever you call it then that's you know that's only going to boost their stock yeah agreed yeah interesting then finally kind of uh this, this is more of a visual one, obviously we can't do it because it's a podcast, but I'll just get you to search it, uh, but it's kind of funny. Uh, Christian Bale has been looking almost unrecognizable in his oh. new role as Dick Cheney. Have yeah, you seen? Have I've seen, seen the it? pictures, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny. Uh, so Christian Bale has proven himself to be the undisputed king of movie transformations for the umpteen time, and yet again, he really does look incredibly unrecognizable. Christian's latest look is a step a step up from his weight gain for his role as Dick Cheney in an upcoming biopic as the actor is now sporting a skinhead too. While appearing at a press conference for his uh, another film, uh, Hostiles, Christian showed off the results of his recent weight gain achieved by eating a lot of pies, says to him. Bale, who once famously and dangerously dropped over four stone for his turn in The Machinist, has been enjoying a generous diet for his role as former US Vice President Dick Cheney. Uh, the movie Backseat will look at Cheney's influence during the George, uh, George Bush administration following 9-11 attacks and will reunite Bale with some of his longtime collaborators. They're directed by Anchorman and The Big Shorts, Adam McKay, Backseat will star Steve Carell as former Defence Secretary Donald Rumsfeld and Amy Adams, uh, um, Cheney's wife, Lynn. Of course, Christian isn't the only actor to suffer for his art. Fellow DC alum Tom Hardy recently admitted that undergoing uh, numerous body trans- transformations has probably damaged him. So, yeah, that's suffering for your art. Uh, a lot of yeah. guys seem to be doing that. <laughs> I mean, fair play to him. He definitely... Yeah, he goes all out. Yeah, he does go all out. But, yeah, it can't be good for him. No. Well, like, I, I think the whole machinist thing, I think that's worse for you than what he's doing now or putting on a lot of weight because you can, you know, you can eventually uh, take that off. But, obviously... <laughs> it's not good well, to be fat. It's, but you It's, know, it's I, either weight, really, because they, they yeah. say kind of that that quick either gain or, or loss just like isn't good for your body especially because like he did the machinist and then the next thing he did after the machinist was batman begins so he went from like that yeah, the bulk to up then, yeah like, bulking up like muscle and stuff and yeah yeah and he didn't he do it in uh, american hustle as well he had to uh put on some weight quite a bit of weight for that i don't think it's as much as uh this one but still yeah, he still and he, he had still to, had to put on weight for the fighter as well didn't he Oh yeah, jeez, so, yeah. So he had to lose a lot of weight for the fighter, yeah, because uh, he was dropping. Yeah, so it's pretty. He he looks hilarious though. It's pretty funny. Uh, so like, it's good to see. But as you say, yeah, I don't know how good it is for his health, but 
anything to kind of bring more realism to the character and you know make it more believable that's fair enough I think it's interesting that Adam McKay is directing it uh, have you seen The Big Short? Uh, no I watched a bit of it uh, it's it. fantastic uh, so um, you know there's, there's clearly like this one obviously has political element too but there's always kind of um, the, the cast was fantastic in The Big Short with obviously Christian Bale uh, who else was in this? oh Steve Crowell so um, yeah it's kind of interesting to see them kind of team up, teaming up again and this time doing more like kind of political angle here and obviously as he said Dick Cheney um, his, his, his during his tenure uh, in George Bush administration so it will, it'll be interesting to see is it going to be that kind of same tone as the big short kind of you know kind of a serious subject but kind of a more comedic tone to it overall so it'll be interesting to see how that turns out but uh, yeah you should as I said you should uh, definitely check it out Google um, Christian Bale Dick Cheney whatever you want and yeah he, he definitely doesn't look the same so that's it for uh, the movie news cool we've got a few uh, few bits on the comic book um, slash comic book movie news front this week um, so not a bumper week but it's a few bits to talk through so um, the first one unfortunately um, is around more kind of sexual assault oh, um, yeah, yeah. claims mm-hmm. so Warner Brothers DC Entertainment have fired DC Comics group editor Eddie Baganza after investigating sexual assault claims against him. Now, Baganza was suspended by DC uh, following a BuzzFeed news report detailing the accounts of multiple women who accused him of sexual assault, some who were employed by DC at the time. Uh, according to the report, these women and others reported Baganza to HR only for him to remain employed. Um, Baganza now fired. DC Entertainment released this statement. Warner Brothers and DC Entertainment have terminated the employment of DC Comics group editor Eddie Baganza. We are committed to eradicating harassment and ensuring that all employees, as well as our freelance community, are aware of our policies, are comfortable reporting any concerns, and feel supported by our company. Um, <clears throat> now, there's been quite a lot of chat about this kind of on the internet. Um, yeah, I've seen actually a bit of earlier. Yeah. yeah, apparently it's another one of those where it's kind of been known about for years um, mm-hmm. and he did apparently after a previous kind of um, report he got demoted um, only oh, okay. to, like, to obviously but to keep his job so yeah um, yeah again um, pleased that people are speaking out and um, we don't want these kind of people in any industry so Mm-hmm. Um, I know people are kind of saying it's a little, like, a little bit too little, too late, where DC are kind of concerned. But uh, at the end of the day, they've done it. So, I mean, fair play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not cool. Um, and then, kind of along the same lines, there was a um, article that was kind of floating around this week um, around. Gal Gadot refusing to mm-hmm. reprise her role as Wonder Woman um, for Wonder Woman 2 until uh, Brett Ratner's company was no longer involved. Um, I think he owns a, so he runs a production company called Rat Pack uh, June Entertainment, which um, I think have helped finance uh, a number of the DCEU films um, thus far. But um, she was on a thing called The Today Show, which I assume is in America. Yeah. Um, this week to kind of uh, address Talk the reports yeah. um, that were spoken about. So she actually said um, there was nothing for me to actually come and say because it was already done before this article came out. 
Um, so the Wonder Woman star also noted that she isn't the only one that was working on the film who felt that way and she said there are so many people involved in making the movie, it's not just me, and they all echoed the same sentiment. Everyone knew what was the right thing to do. So by those accounts it looks like that his company weren't going to be involved with the sequel anyway, whether that's uh, something that was just kind of on his part previously or whether it's a Warner Brothers saying that we don't we don't want you anymore. Um, yeah. So piss off, mate, because you're a, a scumbag. <laughs> yeah. Um, so again, that's good. Let's get rid of him. Um, and then the last one this week, which is a, is a little bit interesting. Um, so Sony are developing a new Marvel Comics movie based on the Spider-Man villain anti-hero Morbius, the Living Vampire. So according to the Hollywood Reporter, Power Rangers writers Burke Sharpless, which is a Incredible name, that. <laughs> Say Burke it again. Sh- Burke Sharpless. That is such a great, such an American name, isn't it? I can't, I can't be <laughs> his real name, can it? Um, it's and amazing. Matt Sazama have recently submitted a script for the movie simply titled Morbius to Sony after a secret development process. <laughs> Uh, now the character named Dr. Michael Morbius was created by writer Roy Thomas and artist Gil Kane and first appeared in 1963's Amazing, Amazing Spider-Man number 101. Uh, now Morbius is a scientist suffering from a rare blood disease who after attempting to cure himself becomes afflicted with a form of vampirism. Um, the character has fought Spider-Man on several occasions and also became a slightly heroic character. Um, what's what's so, the name um what's the name of the one in Arkham Knight that it's not a vampire, it's a it becomes oh, a man bat. That's yeah, man yeah. Bat. yeah. Yeah. No, it just reminded um, me of that. Yeah, Morbius was in the I don't know if you ever watched the um nineties Spider Man cartoon. Oh yeah. He, he featured in that. I think um, I remember him slightly. Quite a bit. But uh yeah, it's just it's just an interesting one because obviously I know that they are um doing the um, Black Cat Silver Sable and obviously doing the Venom movie as well this seems a little bit kind of left field yeah um, but nonetheless could be could be interesting yeah you never know how it turns out uh, so while I'm here then we'll just we'll, we'll crack on into uh, yeah. what's coming out this week so from the comic side on Marvel we've got uh, Amazing Spider-Man 791 uh, Ben Riley's Scarlet Spider number 10 uh, The Champions number 14 the Defenders number seven, uh, Doctor Strange three eighty one, <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy one forty seven, Hawkeye number twelve, uh, the Mighty Thor seven hundred and one, uh, Peter Parker the Spectacular Spider Man number two nine seven, uh, Spider Man two number four, Star Wars Darth Vader number eight, uh, X Men Blue number fifteen, and then for DC we've got Aquaman number thirty. Uh, Batman number 35, uh, Dark Knight's The Batman Who Laughs number 1, uh, Injustice 2 number 14, Justice League number 33, Nightwing number 33, uh, Superman number 35, The Wildstorm number 9, um, and then we've got for Image, East of West number 35, uh, Invincible number 142, and for Valiant we've got Ninja K number 1. That's cool. the comics this week. So, yeah, in terms of games, uh, two huge releases on the Switch this week, Dave. Ooh. We got Skyrim. Wow. Is that 2011 all over? Yeah, yeah. 
Skyrim. So if you haven't played that, you can play it on Switch now because you know that's everyone has been vying for that. There, you know, they want to uh, finally play on the Switch. That's what everyone's waiting for. Well, and, it's not been available anywhere else, is it? Skyrim. So. Uh... <laughs> Well, it's been available on a lot of consoles for a number of years. So. Oh, is it? Oh, is it? Oh, I yeah. thought it was like a brand new. No, I know. Yeah, that's see, that's yeah. that's Nintendo marketing it there. You know, brand new game from Bethesda. That has yeah, graphics. I didn't realize it had been on like the PS3, the Xbox 360, the PC, P- the PS4, the Xbox One, uh, the PSVR. Um, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I know. Really knocking it out of the park there. And apparently Rhyme as well is also coming to Nintendo's Switch this week. An underwhelming uh, indie title that took ages to make. Mm. But uh, yeah, there's other games coming out this week. We have, if you're so inclined, Ashes Cricket is apparently coming out this week. Reviewed quite well. I didn't read them, but I'll take your word for it. Mm. Uh, Ashes Cricket is the officially licensed video game of Cricket's Greatest Rivalry, bringing all the fast-paced action, big hits and skill that you see in the greatest cricket competition on the earth yeah actually cricket does it look any good like what are the graphics like oh I don't know I just read the review on IGN ah. and it was quite positive so no pictures <coughs> Um, I don't know anyway. I just went straight to the score to be honest ah, okay uh, another Tom Ace game here ATV Drift and Tricks uh, tired of two wheel vehicles ATV Drift and Tricks is the ATV game for you a quads only racing game with both solo and multiplayer play yeah yeah, then <laughs> be getting that. This is pretty funny. Cat Quest. Uh, it looks pretty good, I have to say. Cat Quest is an open world RPG in the p- the possum world of cats. In search of a cat catnap sister, you pounce into the massive uh, continent of Felengard, a world crafted in style of over overworld maps of yore and purring with catastic characters, stories, and puns. Yeah, we see there are obviously a lot of cat puns at the moment. But uh, yeah, basically, it's just like a cat RPG. So, yeah. it's uh, horrendous. Mm, it does. Then we have The Blob. Uh, the Blob is a 3D platformer where players maneuver their hero, The Blob. He parts a um, amorphous blob of paints, struggling artist, revolutionary, and juvenile delinquent. The Blob. Yeah. Uh, then Demon Gaze 2. Uh, yeah, it's a Japanese game. I suppose you can guess by the name. Oh, yeah, Elder Scrolls uh, 5 Skyrim VR. So there you go, that's the Skyrim VR game we were talking about. Uh, then we have Far From Noise. You are balanced on the edge of a cliff in an old Russian car. The sun is setting behind the horizon and the night will soon follow. With no immediate means of escape, perhaps all that's left is to attempt to feel some connection with the world at the end of it all. Hmm. Sounds pretty interesting. Hmm. Uh, and then next game literally has one line of description Knights of Valor Arcade never dies experience the side scrolling beat em up arcade masterpiece so obviously re-release there and then LA Noir. there's another re-release that's coming back out and again only has one line one line for re-releases here a dark and violent crime thriller set against the backdrop of 1940s Los Angeles yeah nice mm. And then we have Lego Marvel Superheroes 2. Uh, join your favorite superheroes and supervillains from different eras and reality as they go head to head with the time traveling Kang the Conqueror in an all new original adventure. Well, you know, it's not really original, is it? It's They're using the same characters. Understood. Anyway, uh, it's a pretty bad name for a game Outcast Second Contact. 
Outcast Second Contact is the complete remake of the, oh it's a remake of it's still a terrible name uh, of the cult title Outcast, the first 3D open world game in video game history and pioneer in the modern action adventure genre. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Road Rage. Road Rage is an over the top knockdown drag out motorcycle combat game that tests your skills on a range of badass bikes race. Race fighting hustle your way through the ranks of an insane outlaw motorcycle gang. Uh, what was that game that came out like not so long ago that was like basically this, but it was like horrendously bad? Um, mm, not sure. Let's see if I can remember it. No, biking game. Because basically, it kind of got a bit. Oh, right to hell retribution. That's what it is. Uh, basically, it got a bit of notoriety. Um, because of Angry Joe who did a review and he like he said it's like the worst game he's ever played and it looks pretty terrible it's like really it's really ridiculous so I all I remember is that there's like uh, say you do you're like similar to Road Rage or whatever it is you know you go around on your bike killing people and all that stuff and then after every you know fight wherever you have you go and basically have sex with some girl and it's like the same cutscene at the same time apparently so yeah it's really you know a terrible attempt to be in this cool biker game so yeah but um yeah so just reminds me of that then we have jesus such a japanese game here school girls slash zombie hunter <laughs> and the fucking the cover of this game is like loads of school girls and you know japanese uh school girls in their uniforms with like guns, shotguns, and it's really funny. Uh, I don't even know how to say this fucking name. Set in the, it's Japanese, the Onikinabra universe and taking place at the prestigious Kusuriaku High School, known for its balanced curriculum of sports and academics. This is a story of survival. Five, five students cut off from the outside world and surrounded by a seemingly endless flood of zombie hordes. Yeah. Apparently, Sims 4 has been released on digital this week, even though it's already... I suppose I might have been on consoles. Anyway, the big game this week, though, is uh, one we already talked about. So obviously, a lot of countries controversy around the Star Wars Battlefront 2. two. Um, and this is their description. So, embarking an endless Star Wars action experience from the best-selling franchise. Rush, rush two waves of enemies and start at a base. Line up your X-Wing squadron from an attack on a mammoth First Order Star Destroyer in space. Our rise as a new hero, Aiden, an elite Imperialist uh, Special Forces soldier, and discover an emotional and gripping single-player story spanning 30 years. And also... A long campaign. Also, for a small fee of probably 10, 10 euro, you can buy all your favourite characters that we probably should have included in the game anyway. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. We have another crazy Japanese game here, Tokyo Tattoo Girls. <laughs> it's time to show off that ink. Enter the world of Tokyo Tattoo Girls, where you will select a companion girl and battle the syndicate by conquering the 23 wards of Tokyo. Power up your companion with gorgeous Japanese tattoos and unleash your true power. Where do they come next, next Next week, you need to pick which ones we're going to talk about and we're not, because <laughs> you've got to just skip past that. Yeah. Terrible. It sounds pretty awful. This kind of this kind of kind of kind of sounds interesting. This one, I don't even know how to pronounce it. It's it's basically Valhalla, but it's V A dash eleven eleven Hall H A L L dash A. Just call it Valhalla for God's sakes. And the kind of tagline is cyberpunk bartender action. Valhalla, a cyberpunk bartender action, is a bosom up about wafers technology and post dystopia life. Yeah, there you go. That's that's the last one anyway. So, push out of your misery. Now onto the movies. Uh, it's actually quite a decent offering this week, I have to say. 
um, kind of looking through them. The first one, which came out, or it's coming out today, is Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool, apparently. There you go. That's what it's called. Right. Starring Annette Benning and Jamie Bell. And then another one, where I actually watched the trailer earlier, it looks really good. It's called Good Time. And stars Robert Pattinson. And uh, no, it's, and I think it was selected, like it was one one of the official selections at Cannes. So, uh, no, the trailer's really good. It's kind of um, about these two brothers who are, you know, down in their luck and kind of always getting uh, in trouble with the law. And basically one of them gets ends up getting arrested. And Robert Pattinson, who's the brother, he kind of has to do anything necessary to get him out of there because he knows he'll probably die in jail, that kind of thing. So, trailer, I thought the trailer was excellent. I'd really advise you to watch the trailer. It looked really fantastic. So, uh, yeah, really promising movie there. Then we also have another one that I only really kind of found out about, but it looks pretty funny. Uh, it's called Ingrid Goes West. I don't know if you heard of it. It's starring mm-hmm. Aubrey Plaza. You know, she's from uh, Parks and Recreation. Right. Do you know the one who has like no emotion? She's always like... Uh, I've, I've never seen it. Oh, yeah. You probably know if you saw her. Uh, also starring Elizabeth Olsen. But the trailer is pretty good. It's kind of, it's like, it's about, say... Aubrey Plaza kind of playing I think she was in like a mental institution this girl and eventually she kind of comes out and you know no one knows what happened to her and that kind of stuff then she kind of sees this girl on Instagram played by Elizabeth Olsen who's like you know the typical kind of she lives in California she's she's taking pictures of her food hashtag she's on the beach that, you know the whole Instagram life that fake life so basically Ingrid who was played by Aubrey Plaza she basically goes to California and kind of like does the same thing and she's kind of like obsessed with this with her so it, it seems pretty interesting you know kind of you know a parody of the whole that instagram culture and the, the fakeness of it all so it's kind of like taking a stab at that you could say so it looks actually looks pretty kind of funny and unique which is good to see and then uh we also got a little movie uh, i don't know if i don't know if you know, knew about this dave uh justice league is well, uh, justice league. It, yeah right? i think you've heard of it yeah, yeah. it says here directed by zach snyder but part of it is, isn't it? Well, he gets sole yeah. directing credit. So. Yeah, so. And then obviously starring Ben Affleck, Henry Cavill, Amy Adams, and all that, Gal Gadot, Jason Momoa, Ezra Miller. Oh, pretty decent cast, so. Hmm. Yeah, some reviews have been, you know, they said it's, it was better than Batman vs. Superman. So, and you obviously saw it. We'll talk a bit about that, obviously, more yeah, we, yeah. later on. And then finally, um, um, well, actually, not funny. There's one or two more, but one that kind of caught my eye is a, uh, it's a Netflix movie called uh, Mudbound. Don't know if you heard of it. No. Uh, so it's yeah, as I said, it's a Netflix original movie. In terms of where it's set, it's like set apparently after World War Two in Louisiana, so deep south. So it's kind of I think it's like African American family who moved to Louisiana after the war, and they obviously experienced a lot of racism because it was the civil rights movement at the time. Well. Obviously, a bit later on in the 60s where it kind of all came to a head. But, yeah, it's uh, it looks really good and it's, review- it's getting really great reviews and has a really impressive cast as well. Kerry, uh, no, uh, Kerry Mulligan. Mary J. Blige is in it. Jason Mitchell, Jason Clark. So, from the tra- as well, the trailer was re- looked really good. And, as I said, it's on Netflix. So, if, you, uh, you know, if you're into that kind of stuff, a period piece, period drama, check out that. That's Mudbound. Uh, and then we have... Strangled, new movie coming out. I think it's like uh, by the names. I think it's Polish. It looks yeah, based on the names. And then I'm assuming this is just based on the cover. I'll actually call it Trophy, and I'm assuming it's a documentary about um, you know, like people killing animals and endangered animals, that kind of stuff. Let's see. 
Do, 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 yeah, an in-depth look into the powerhouse industry of big game hunting. Yeah, so mm-hmm. trophies. So hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes, but probably hasn't been there for that long. But yeah, yeah. oh no, well they have a synopsis. Trophy offers a thought-provoking look at the big game hunting that should challenge, trouble, and enrage viewers, regardless of their personal perspective. So yeah, there you go. That's pretty interesting. Uh, you know me, I love a, I love a good documentary. So. I do. Uh, and obviously, in recent years, big game hunting has kind of come, kind of come into the public consciousness with, you know, that whole that dentist who was taking pictures of uh, the animals he was killing and that kind of stuff. So it's kind of come into the public consciousness now. So um, makes sense to make a documentary about it. And of course, we know that. Do you remember that Steven Spielberg who killed that dinosaur? Goddamn him! What an evil boss! <laughs> Shocking! <laughs> what a terrible, Shocking. terrible human being. But um, yeah, so that's it for the movies this week. As I said, pretty decent lineup. Some really uh, interesting, and another film I'm talking about the one with Rob Patterson. It's made by the same again by the people who uh, made Moonlight and the one I was talking about last week, the Florida Project. So they seem to be really hitting it out of the park <laughs> recently. You know, given mm. given a chance to those smaller movies, so that's great to see. I think it's good to have uh, you know movies with a bit of substance. I suppose it doesn't it doesn't always have to be the big action flicks. You know, exactly. Yeah. And there we have it. It's the end of episode 62. So thanks for joining us as always. And, uh, thanks again, everyone. Tune in next time where we'll be uh, talking all about the Game Awards. So uh, look forward to that. Till next time. Thanks. Yeah. 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 Yeah.